0: (laughs) hello and welcome to the shock horror podcast Hello, film lovers, and welcome to the Films I Love Most podcast Halloween special. I can't believe it's been a whole year since we did the last one, but it has. Welcome. I am very, very happy that you could join us today, and I hope that we don't scare you out of your wits too much, but we have got some very special treats coming up for you on today's episode. So... I haven't publicised this, but this Halloween special is going to be focusing more on world horror. So, um, we've got horror from all over Europe. There's some from Asia. And, of course, we will be delving into some of the films that you really enjoy. Not necessarily from around the world, but more mainstream horror movies. And we've got a lovely chat coming up with a very special guest and also the film that you love most is hosted today by someone that I admire greatly is actually one of my heroes but we won't go into that because I don't want to gush but yes really really packed episode for you hope you really enjoy it and happy Halloween one of my favorite films to be released in the last sort of 3 or 4 years is Train to Busan. I just think it is an absolute cracking horror movie with something for everyone. Even if you don't enjoy horror, I mean this film has something for you. I recently watched it with a friend and uh, the reaction that she gave to the film, were found very surprising. She cried twice. If you've seen Train to Busan, you'll probably think, well, where? How? When? But, yeah, she found the experience very emotional, and it is. So, Train to Busan is, um, there's a zombie virus that breaks out in South Korea, and there's passengers uh, on a train, and they struggle to survive as they travel from Seoul to Busan. And, um, It's just an absolutely really, really strong, really well, well well-made, really well, well (laughs) well-made, and just a really visual movie. So it's um, directed by Sang Han Yeon, who has also gone on to direct the sequel, which we will talk about in a moment. But let's talk about Train to Busan. So the thing that really impresses me about this film is its pace. It really starts off as a very small, intimate portrait of a family in crisis. So you have the main character, um, Siok Wu, who is, you know, a businessman working in uh, hedge funds, I believe. So it, his life is very busy, Very there's a lot of pressure put on him. And he's just divorced from his wife and he has part custody with his daughter. Now, it's his daughter's birthday and she wants to go and spend it with her mum in Busan. The father has, you know, a little bit of an issue with this, but eventually decides that they will take the train to Busan, hence the title, and go visit her mother for her birthday. And that is when the zombie Apocalypse breaks out and they are trapped on the train. This is literally like lighting a candle in the first scene, but it's very, very quickly goes wrong. And what they do, what the writer does, is really starts to build up the tension. So the writer is Ju Suk and what Ju Suk does is starts off very intimate. Then you start to get introduced to the characters on the train. And then the event happens on the train, which is probably one of the most disturbing things you'll ever see in a film. And then from that moment, anything that can go wrong goes wrong. And I find that the perfect sort of remedy for a film like this because the zombie genre is so saturated whether it be in film and television i.e you have all of the night of the living dead movies you have literally all those low budget zombie movies which are just awful to watch and then you have things like the walking dead fear the walking dead the walking dead world and beyond um Z zombie i think there's one called there's loads of things anyway it's so saturated that market so to bring out a film and do something completely different with it is no small feat and they do it here and it is all about the pace and you really get introduced to the characters one by one and and you really start to like them so when these horrible events start to happen you have that sort of close intimate relationship with those characters and you want you care about them you really do you want to make sure that they you know get through this situation unscathed which obviously a lot of them do not no spoilers but it really builds up to the last sequence um when the train arrives um just outside of busan and the the build-up for those sequences you know like you think this one event happens and you think well you know they can overcome that quite easily it's not a problem and then something even more you know catastrophous happens and um it just keeps building and building upon the fact that anything that can go wrong does go wrong and that really builds the tension and you really don't know right until the very end who's gonna survive and who it isn't but uh, Train to Busan I think is an absolute classic of modern day so that brings me on to the sequel yes the sequel to Train to Busan which has not been released yet I believe in the cinemas Uh, but it is going to be released and I think that they are also going to be showing it on Shudder so if you subscribe to Shudder um, you will be able to get to see um, Train to Busan Peninsula and let's do a quick review of Peninsula then so Peninsula is set four years after the events of Train to Busan it doesn't involve any of the characters from said film Um, A zombie virus has, in the last four years, spread through South Korea. And four Koreans from Hong Kong sail through the blockade um, to try and rescue a truck that is containing 20 million US dollars. Now, the first film, The Tension, was built from sort of an everyday life you know you could really sort of connect with the situation around you and therefore when the bad things were happening you could imagine those happening in real life Peninsula goes completely the opposite way we are in a sort of post-apocalyptic version of South, of, um, South Korea so these four Koreans have to go back in and try and rescue the truck for money and they are offered a quarter I think of the money if they manage to return the truck but there is a lot of why are you doing this i mean (laughs) obviously the the area is full of you know the walking dead so why would you put yourself into that position but they do and what i liked about the film okay let me tell you what i liked because there's a lot i didn't like but what i liked about it was Is that for the first sort of quarter of the movie, it twists and turns. You didn't know what kind of movie you were getting for a while. And I quite enjoyed that because, you know, you'd settle down, get to know a group of characters, and then something would happen and that group of characters wouldn't exist anymore. And I liked that sort of, oh, I wonder where this is going. When it sort of settled into itself and I knew where it was going, I was a bit, oh, okay, so. This is the path that it's taken. I just found the film very monotonous. It reminded me of... Um, it reminded me a little bit of Escape to, from New York, but Escape to LA. So Escape to New York is a is a classic blinding film. So if you think of Escape to New York being trained to Busan, and then you have Escape to LA, which is, you know... it it really tries to to be something much bigger much bolder um and with a bigger budget but it really does not succeed at all because the story isn't there and you don't have the relationship with the characters i didn't feel at any time that if one of the characters got killed off i would be emotionally you know upset about it because i wouldn't have been yet in train to busan literally from five minutes in I was really caring about those characters. I didn't find that I had much empathy with what was going on in Peninsula. It's also got a huge sort of dash of mad max in it like, but not good mad mad max you know not the um the thumping music and the colors and the and everything it's very it's a very dark movie because the characters can only move around at night due to the um the zombie threat um. But I think that it just sort of sucks all of the the threat out of it when you have these cars driving and they're you know smashing through the the zombie horde and it's it is more about the the human threat than the threat from the um zombie apocalypse, which you know sometimes goes well sometimes doesn't you know it's like. Um, 28 days later for the first three quarters of the movie the threat is you know the the dead returning to life but in the last quarter of the movie it's the human factor that becomes the enemy and Peninsula has that from the very beginning It's you don't really fear the dead you fear the, the living and even though that's quite a novel idea it's not really what I wanted from a Train to Busan sequel it's um it's the typical scenario of a filmmaker, and it is directed by the same guy, Sang, uh, Sang Ho Yeon. And it's a typical scenario of having a successful movie and then getting a bigger budget and not really quite knowing what to do with the budget, and therefore the story suffers. And the story, trying to be some peninsula, really does suffer. I actually struggled to make it through. Um, whereas I would have given Train to Busan 10 out of 10 I would have actually given Train to Busan Peninsula about 4 and there were so many sort of situations and scenarios where they could have reintroduced characters from the first film which would have been a nice through line but unfortunately they decided not to do that because there was one point I thought that a character was a character from the first one it turned out not to be and I was very disappointed by that because it would have it would have created such a more solid character and you would have had more empathy for them but unfortunately i couldn't care less by the end um that's what it and that's another point i want to make i had a very 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 similar experience with battle royale battle royale the first film is a classic it's brilliant it's um satirical it's funny it's gruesome and again the pace of that film is perfect Battle Royale Two, Requiem. Even though I know it had production problems, as the director died halfway through and his son took over and pretty much rewrote a lot of the film and made it unintelligible. Really, I mean, you watch that film halfway through the film, you are sitting there going, "I have no idea what is going on and what why are they are doing this. I have no idea." In fact, I remember watching it for the first time with uh, a partner of my next partner. And um sitting on the sofa watching it and then about three quarters of the way through just humming the tune to the never ending story. Because that is literally what Battle Royale 2 is like. It is the never ending story or the never ending movie. But I had a similar feeling with Um Tredi Busan Peninsula because I about three quarters of the way through I was like just just finish just end now please you, you know you you haven't delivered on what I was hoping you'd deliver on and now it's just getting monotonous to the point where I really don't I hope they just don't make a third one I hope they just forget the franchise completely and then Peninsula just gets released and no one sees it and everyone just holds up Train to Busan as the holy grail of um Korean zombie movies because it should get that accolade i think but yes train to busan 10 out of 10 brilliant film one of the best um films of that genre probably in the last 10 years train to busan peninsula let's just forget it a slight break from world horror right now well technically all horror is from the world right but we're going to head over to the United States of America and we're going to talk about the Scream quadrilogy soon to be a Scream fiveology I'm not quite sure what that is I'm not that smart but yeah Scream the original is one of those seminal movies that just happens it's like psycho halloween the exorcist the texas chainsaw massacre it's one of those films that happen and have like huge amounts of imitations i mean you think back to when Scream was released how many films came out because of its impact you had i know what you did last summer my bloody valentine goodness knows how many reboots of um old film franchises and things like um you my bloody valentine valentine was another one there were so many films that came out around the time of scream uh, trying to cash in on its success but the thing about scream is that it is one of those movies that really captures the essence of the time and wes craven was really good at doing that and really good at the whole meta thing for example uh wes craven's new nightmare Brilliant film, the last film in the original Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, and it completely blew me away. That movie because I'd never seen anything like that, where it's a film within a film. So you had the original cast of a Nightmare on Elm Street. <clears throat> Excuse me, not COVID. Um, yeah, the original cast of Nightmare on Elm Street, and they were playing themselves in the movie, and Freddy Krueger was this demon who, whilst the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street films were being made, was kept subdued. But now that the franchise was over, Freddy, the the demon Freddy, had risen and started to terrorise members of the original cast. What a brilliant idea. And it is so well executed. And on the back of that, you've got Scream, which obviously is so meta it hurts. I've just watched all four Scream movies back to back. And the first one is just, you know, beyond, even though, you know, even now watching it, the the way that it develops the idea of a horror film within a horror film, a horror film where everybody knows the rules and, you know that they're in a horror film in some ways but and that they have to follow the rules and I love the sequence um with Randy at the house party when he's sitting around and they're all watching Halloween and he's explaining the rules of a horror movie to his friends you know like the virgin Um, Never have sex because if you're... the Only the Virgin survives and, you know, never say, I'll be right back because you won't be. It's just absolutely brilliant. And I do think that Ghostface, the design of the costume, the mask, is iconic. And I think that there isn't a better um, slasher villain out there, really. I think you can look at Michael Myers, but it's all quite bland. Whereas the Ghostface screen mask is absolutely fantastic so going back to the idea of a film within a film you have lots of nods to various horror movies in the first one so obviously you have the television playing halloween you have uh, billy loomis mentioning you know i was watching the exorcist on cable and um you know all that sort of thing going on and i as a horror fan You know, I absolutely loved it. But we can't talk about the first Scream film without talking about the opening. Drew Barrymore. You know, that whole sequence is just expertly done to make the audience believe that Drew Barrymore is the lead character. And the lead character in the horror movie will always make it to the end. Well, not this time. She makes it, I think, about seven minutes into the movie before she's killed. And that really shocked an audience at the time because they didn't really expect that to happen. You know, you don't kill off the leading lady seven minutes in. But, the, you know, a lot of people have forgot that they did that in Psycho. You know, Marion Crane's character, you know, goes into the to the hotel. You think that she's the main character. Janet Lee is there in all of her glory and then she's off in a, in a shower sequence. And, you know, people forget that. So a lot of people always hold up the opening of Scream as this whoa moment. But it has been done before. And Drew Barrymore is brilliant in that. Just a little fun fact for you here. Drew Barrymore was actually meant to play Sidney Prescott. Um, but then when she read the script, she went, wouldn't it be more impactful if I... Was to play the girl that was killed first. And she did. And it worked absolutely brilliantly. So after the success of Scream 1. Obviously there was going to be a sequel. As it was hinted in the first film. You know don't kill me Mr Ghostface. Face. I want to be in the sequel. So there was always going to be a sequel to Scream I think. And I think they sort of did how it planned out. So Scream 2. Again the opening of Scream 2 is fantastic. Set in a cinema You know people are going to watch stab which is a film based on the events of the first film again just taking this whole like meta cinematic universe into something completely different and you know the two main characters in that sequence are brutally murdered uh um, phil and i can't remember who who's the other one um oh my goodness who's the other person in the cinema at that time oh it's blooming will smith's wife and i can't remember but um yeah anyway it will come to me in a minute i'm having a brain freeze but that opening sequence of scream 2 is just absolute classic and i really do like scream 2 it sort of builds on you know the you know the rules again of a sequel you know the body count has to be bigger you know the killer has to be in some way you know more inventive and that does happen and i do really like scream 2 with the, with the success of scream 2 i think scream 2 made more money scream 3 happened and i think scream 3 totally loses its way a little bit i mean the opening sequence isn't very interesting and the film decides to go down this way of of making its focus hollywood like making hollywood it's you know it's victim and like sort of satirizing the way that hollywood works but i don't think scream works in that way that's too big scream is about you know the little person the little person's views on you know how cinema works and how scary movies work as soon as it sort of blew up into this whole thing of you know a studio and they were making stab three which was you know a new movie based on Sidney prescott's life i just think that it just got way too silly and out there and really underused um Neve Campbell as Sidney Prescott, I think, you know, she should always be the main focus, but for some reason in that film, they went down the uh, the comedic route, which I did not favour very much, but then definitely returned to its glory with Scream 4. Scream 4 is actually my second favourite entry in the Scream franchise, because I just I just think the idea... Of returning to Woodsboro where it all started like making the the situation again very small and about community and making it a lot about Sydney Prescott but then re- introducing some really you know interesting new characters and I love the way that they even reference to like Sidney Prescott and Gail Weathers and Dewey you know the characters from the original film they they reference them as legacy characters in this reboot so you had the first one then the second one was a was the sequel the third one it was all about a trilogy and then the fourth one was all about a reboot and i think that's just so clever and i really like scream 4 i think the script is fast it's furious it deals with you know it doesn't um shy away from the fact that it's another entry in a franchise they even go oh really you know why why would a killer want to make another one? You know, see everyone knows that reboots suck. Do you know what I mean? So it's really poking fun at itself and I really, really like that. And um it's really vicious. I was quite surprised. I remember watching it at the cinema and um it's a lot more um violent and gory than any of the three that came before it. I just think that that as the attitude to horror has developed and horror has become more sort of visceral due to things like hostel and the saw movies i think that scream 4 needed to be a little bit more hard hitting and it definitely was i was what i watched it the other night and i just it shocked me how violent it is which is really surprising seeing all the films are violent but you know like brutally violent and um thoroughly enjoyed it. What does that say about me? Um, I think it's brilliant. So if I was to put the Scream films in order, I would go number four, Scream 3. Not a huge fan. I give it probably six out of ten. Scream 2. Really, really like Scream 2. Have a lot of memories about it. It was one of the first films that I got to see. Um... As for Like being 15, you know, like around that time where I was allowed to watch a 15 movie. Um, so definitely I'd give Scream 2, probably about 7, 7.5 out of 10. Scream 4, absolutely loved it. I love Scream 4, but I'll give it about 8.5 out of 10. And then the first one, it is iconic and it is one of those films that will be studied by film students for years and years to come and has influenced a huge um majority of filmmakers these days you can see sort of little things of scream in a lot of movies that are being made today because the filmmakers of today you know were kids back when scream was released so it was you know one of their guilty like pleasures to watch it But I do love the Scream franchise, and I would give Scream 1 definitely 10 out of 10. So if you haven't seen the Scream movies, get out there and watch them. They are a blast. This is known to be the same costume worn by the killer. 17-year-old Casey Becker and her boyfriend Stephen Orrith have already lost their lives. (laughs) Who's next? town's in shock, and no one can quite believe what has happened here. Casey and Steve were mm. completely hollowed out. Hello?
1: Do you like scary movies? Hi,
0: Gail Webb, reporting live from Whiteline Police Station. Hey, we're we're going they sell this costume every five and dime in the state. There's no way to track the purchase.
1: Billy, I was attacked and nearly
0: filleted last night. How do we know you're not? There? Those calls are listed to Neil Prescott, Sydney's father. Police are always off track with this shit. If they bought Tom Knight, they'd save time. they shitheads. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. Can never have sex just me ever 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 under any circumstances say i'll be right back you got to back. get another beer you want one yeah sure i'll be right back oh! everybody's a suspect if you hang up on me you'll die just like your mother what do you want
1: i want to play a game
0: So the next series of movies that we're going to be looking at is Rec R-E-C. Uh, Spanish horror movies uh, came out in the sort of mid-2000s. There's been four films. I'm only going to review the first two because I do f- find that the third and the fourth aren't really connected to the style of the original concept of the films. So Wreck 1 and 2. So basically the first the story of the first film is a television reporter and a cameraman are following emergency workers um, and they go to a dark... Basically, they're firemen. They're following the firemen. They're making this TV show called Why You Why You Sleep or something like that. And um, they're following the firemen and they get a call out to this sort of dark apartment building and whilst they're in there, they are locked inside with something absolutely terrifying and there's a whole lockdown which you know we are all quite used to these days but there's a lockdown and they can't leave the building and you find out that um, people are being infected inside the residents of the apartment block have been infected with something and it's causing people to go absolutely bonkers so people are attacking each other you know again this is could be placed into the zombie genre i suppose but as we will learn from the second film it's not really zombies but it's all found footage but um it's all filmed with quite professional um, cameras because obviously it's a tv show a film production so you know the the footage is really clear for the first sort of Half of the movie until things start to go really wrong, and there's a lot of you know running, shaky camera action. The thing I really like about Wreck is that it really hits its mark quite quickly. So we have a a setup, we know the characters quite well before we're put into the situation. There's quite a lot of you know bureaucracy going on in the first half of the movie as well, which I quite like. You know, like the residents. You know, if only the residents knew what they were about to face, they wouldn't be sitting there moaning, going, "Oh, my child's sick. Oh, you know, I need to go outside," and you know, moaning about their their human rights if they knew what was what was about to attack them on floor three. But it really does hit his mark as soon as you get the first sequence of a. We're um, going to call them a zombie for the for this part of the of the episode because I don't want to give too much away, but. The first time you see one. And from then on, it is almost like gathering pace. You know, it's like rolling something down a hill. From that moment on, it is fast and furious. And the final sequence of Wreck, I think, is probably up there with the final sequence of Ringu. Or The Ring. In the way it is so atmospheric, so creepy. You really don't quite realize what's happening so therefore you know people say that we're always scared of what we don't understand well i think in wreck that really proves that because they all, all they almost leave it a little bit you know up in the air so that you are quite baffled but scared at the same time because the imagery in that final sequence is terrifying and the final sequence of um angela being dragged away um from the camera which is you know in night vision at the time you know it's quite a iconic image of her just going and being dragged away um the first wreck is brilliant it's a classic it's it really set up the the rules of found footage after the Blair Witch Project Generation had sort of gone oh really found footage how boring you know this really rebooted that style of horror which you know echoed in uh an american remake quarantine uh quarantine 2 don't even bother and again echoed down to the point where i think that if it wasn't for wreck i don't think we would have had the paranormal activity series so a lot of people might think well i'm not watching wreck then because they you know i hate the paranormal activity but i personally think the the first and second paranormal paranormal activity movies can't speak um, are fantastic. So I'm really glad for that, actually. So, moving swiftly on to Wreck 2. We won't be doing Wreck Genesis and Wreck Apocalypse, like I said, because they sort of break the rules of what I think Wreck should be. Found footage, for example. But Wreck um, 2, watched it last night, rewatched it. The thing I really like about Wreck 2 is that it it starts directly, like literally 10 seconds after the first film ends. But we jump back in time to some other you know the first part of the film is about these police officers that are about to go in and they're with this very mysterious character who is as known as the health inspector and they're about to go into the building so the moment that Angela's dragged away at the end of the first one the plea the um the police officers walk through the front door. So that's the timeline, which I think is great. But we do get to meet the police officers in a little flashback at the beginning of the film. So for the first half of the movie, you're following these officers. They're discovering what has been happening in the building. They're discovering the threats. The The camera sequences, I think, are much better in Rec 2. They're not as, you know, as shaky and, and jittery. So you can really make out what's going on more i think in the second wreck film and then there's little bits that happen during that the first sequence like the policemen discover that there is a group of kids in the building and then halfway through the film the battery runs out on the camera and there then we see um the whole event again straight from like the beginning but from the kids perspective who break into the building so we jump straight back and then we sort of see the whole first sequence of the film again but from a different perspective and i think that works really well because then when they the two come together um in the in the final act you know you know all those characters so that when the things are happening to them you really are getting an emotional impact which i really like and it does have a brilliant final twist Now, I'm just going to say this. This isn't a massive spoiler, but you do find out in Two that the people that are infected are not infected like a normal virus. They are, in fact, infected from a source of someone who was possessed by a demon. So when um, people are bitten, it's not a virus that's being transported. It's a possession, which I think is a great idea and also gives the um the zombies or the demons much more to do uh they speak in scary voices in Rec 2 and i really love that because i do love a good possession movie so that really uh tickled my pickle when that happened When we found out that they weren't zombies... They were demons. And the whole final sequence is a shocker... Because there was a huge twist at the end... That is eventually resolved... Unfortunately in one of the subsequent films. But I think if you stop after Wreck 2... You will be satisfied with the story. I think that if you carry on to watch Genesis and Apocalypse... It sort of gets very saturated. In fact I think in Genesis... Um the plot changes completely and it's very muffled and you don't quite know what's going on so I think that if you stop after Rec 2 it is a very satisfying cinematic um, experience of the franchise so yeah Wreck 1 it's an absolute classic it's about to be released by Arrow Video in special edition in January so I would grab a copy of that if I were you if you really want to you know be a collector, and I would give rec one nine out of ten. I only give it nine because I think that some of the camera work at some points is not great, and I give rec two uh, probably an eight um slightly marked down um due to some annoying characters, really I think the kids' characters are a bit annoying, and there's two characters in rec two that are never seen again they don't die they're locked in a room but you never see them again and I just always found that was quite weird that's a plot point hanging you know and it's never picked up again in um, Genesis or Apocalypse so yeah two characters just vanish and um, it's almost like the writers just didn't know what to do with them so they were oh we'll lock them in a room and that'd be it but um yeah, really, really love the Wreck series. If you haven't seen it, give it a watch because it will, it's one of those things, one of those films that really gets under your skin and you'll never ever forget the first time you saw a Wreck. <laughs> I don't know. ghosts and ghouls it's time for a very special film that you love most now this gentleman has so much respect for me he is a writer of doctor who for big finish the audio company that produce doctor who audios and many more if you do want to go and find something interesting on their website they also have done adaptations of dracula frankenstein uh, dark Shadows, so if you want something audible to listen to over the Halloween season, then Big Finish is the place to go. But anyway, John Dorney is one of my favourite writers for Doctor Who on audio. He's His imagination holds no bounds, and I am so, so happy that he um, agreed to give us his opinion on the horror genre and select his favourite horror movie and talk about it for us today. So, enough of me. Let's hand it over to the one and only amazing John Dorney. Hi, uh,
1: I'm John Dorney, Doctor Who writer. Uh, The horror film I love the most is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, I love that due to all manner of different reasons. Um at least partially the circumstances in which I saw it. I saw it at the cinema the first time, which was at the Prince Charles Cinema, uh, just off Leicester Square uh, a couple of decades ago, with my sister. Um, And it was after a day of seeing The Exorcist and The Blair Witch Project for the first time, and finishing off with seeing The Texas Chainsaw Massacre for the first time. Um, And I'd nipped home to visit my sister between seeing the first two and the, the third one, and she was in a bit of a bad place. I think she'd recently split up with her boyfriend. Um, and I offered to take her with me uh, to go and see the film. Um, and at least partially, that was because I was a bit scared of it. I have a little bit of a phobia of uh body part removal. It's why I don't feel the urge to watch Scarface again. But uh, we absolutely loved it. I, um, I I think it was... I think it manages to be almost everything at once it manages to be scary and funny and horrible the sequence at the end uh, with the poor girl dragged over the bucket is everything you, you are horrified you are amused um so many conflicting emotions um and just stunning images um the door slamming it is one of the greatest entrances of a villain ever yeah basically it it's scrappy but amazingly inventive filmmaking I think we all practically applauded in the cinema the moment it had finished as well. Uh, so yeah, that's that's the horror film I love the most by quite some distance.
0: Thank you so much for that, John. I really do appreciate you appearing with us here on the Films I Love Most podcast and telling us all about your favourite horror movie, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I do love it. Again, one of those sequences, the final sequence, for example, of something that will keep you up at night and will haunt your dreams for many years to come. I do find that film really scary and at the same time just gritty and dirty and fantastic and I also quite like the sequel as well I love the tagline the buzz is back if you enjoyed that then obviously head over to bigfinish.com where you can listen to some of John Dorney's work and also get involved with some of their horror releases if that floats your boat yes thank you so much John we really do appreciate it keep up the good work my friend just a quick round up of some of the films that we couldn't talk about today so if there's anyone out there that is interested in getting into world horror then there are definitely some films that you should be watching so here's my three well four massive recommendations for films you should watch the first one is not necessarily a horror film but it does have horror elements and it's time crimes now i'm sure that i've spoken about time crimes before on the podcast but time crimes is one of my favorite things in the whole wide world it's a time travel twisty turny spanish movie with um horror elements but i can't give any of the plot away because i don't want to ruin it but i will say that time crimes is such a rewarding experience that i probably have seen it more times than i've had hot dinners because it is just brilliant um secondly a film that's you need to go and watch asAP is let the right one in do this is not to be confused with um, let I think it's let me in or i can 't remember what the American remake is called but it's it's not even a touch on the uh, original Swedish film let the right one in it is brilliant it's brutal it's brutal it's brilliant and um, when I watched it i'd never seen anything like it before a film that so bravely gelled horror and romance together you know it's a love story it is ultimately a love story but you know it just so happens that the main character is a young girl who's a vampire but I do think this film should be watched by everybody. I think it, it's a really enjoyable film. Even if you don't like horror movies, Let the Right One In has something for everybody. It's like a... It's just a, a truly original film. I've never seen anything like it. It's just one of the most wonderful sort of horror slash romance films that I've ever seen, and I would recommend that to everyone. Um, next film, Tale of Two Sisters. Now, Tale of Two Sisters was... Um, released as an American remake, I think. I think it was called the The Uninvited. But Taylor Two Sisters has the best jump scare in it. To the point where you know when someone jumps out from behind a door at you and makes you jump, you sort of black out for like zero point of a second. And you're like, well, you know what happened? But that is what happened to me when I saw A Tale of Two Sisters, it made me jump so much <laughs> that I thought, oh my goodness, um, I only need to lay down. But, what I really love about, the, I mean, the te- the story of Tale of Two Sisters is beautiful, and it's about sisterly love, and it has, again, one of the most brilliant twists in a film, that, even though I've seen it probably about five times in my lifetime every time i go and rewatch it i forget about the twist and not because it's a bad twist it's just because i think that you know the twist is so devastating that i erase it from my memory to to protect myself but i i would highly recommend tale of two sisters all these films i'm talking about you can get on amazon so if you've got an amazon prime account or if you haven't just go on there you can rent them They are stunning. And of course, number one in the world horror needs to be The Ring. Or *Ringu* as it's known. (coughs) Excuse me. *Ringu*. It's it's a film that, for me, cemented my love for the horror genre. I think the first film I saw... The first horror film I ever saw, like, properly as a kid, was Halloween H2O. Now, not a great film probably one of the better halloween sequels but i think that it you know if someone said oh the film that got me into horror was h2o people be like really but mark kermode used to do these great um sort of introduction specials to films on channel four usually on a friday night quite late and i remember he did the exorcist he did a brilliant documentary about the exorcist for bbc which completely got me hooked and that was the first time I actually got to see The Exorcist and that really like I was a bit like this this genre is for me I'm really loving this so he did a special on The Ring and it was shown on Channel 4 it was the first time it had been shown in the UK I don't think it was even available on DVD at that point but I remember watching it I was babysitting for my younger brother and sister at the time and i was gripped by it i thought it was fantastic probably one of the first um foreign language films i'd seen as well so getting used to watching a foreign language film reading the subtitles i found the whole experience really different and alien which i think really also added to my experience of the film as well and how scary it was so I'm watching the film. There's some really freaky moments. I'm getting quite, you know, scared. But scared and having so much fun. Until the final sequence. If you've seen the film or if you've seen the American remake, you will know what the final sequence is. Although I will say that the American version is nowhere near as scary as the Japanese version. So... The final sequence involving um, Sadaku and a television set. I was so scared I couldn't stand up. I was glued to the sofa. I've got this thing about people touching me um, under my arms. I really don't like it. Like that's the one thing in life I do not like, and that's people touching like my arm, you know, underneath my arms. And whenever I get scared, that is the first place I protect. A lot of people would protect their head, you know, or, you know, but I protect under my arms because I have this fear of people, you know, of touching me there, and I just find it very creepy. Weird, I know. But I sat there with my sort of elbows pressed in tight to my chest, and I was there. The film had finished and I had probably about another hour and a half until my parents got home to relieve me of my babysitting duties. And I was still sitting there an hour and a half later. I could not get up because the only light on in the house was from the television set. So that would mean I would have had to stand up, walk over, turn on a light and I just couldn't do it. I was absolutely mortified and i've never experienced that again in a film apart from maybe when i watched the blair witch project with headphones that was another experience we'll talk about another day but the ring really really had an impact on me and i would not be so passionate about horror movies and about that genre if it wasn't for the ring so i have a lot to thank it for and yeah get out and watch it you can watch it on um BFI Player, you can watch it on the Arrow Video streaming site that's available on Amazon or available on Apple TV. There are so many places. I personally have the Arrow Video stillbook version of the original film because um, it's one of my favourites and there are some great documentaries on there. So if you really want to go on and get really submersed in the world of Sadako, then go and hunt out the... Um, Arrow video release because it is brilliant to the end of our halloween special here at the films i love most podcast i hope you've enjoyed it i hope that i've been able to talk about something that a film that you maybe you haven't seen or that you've heard about but you know you've been a bit too scared to to see it and i hope that i've been able to put your mind at rest And, like, pointed out something that you can go and enjoy. If you don't enjoy the horror, um, you know, genre, then I don't know why you're listening to this episode of the Films of Love Most podcast, for starters. But, you know, there are some amazing films out there that are put under horror. But, you know, definitely deserve to be seen for the performances, the direction, the production values and everything else around it. So if you can just be a little bit brave... I can imagine that you will watch something that could become a film that you love most be brave guys um thank you so much for joining us here at the films i love most podcast and if you want to get involved that information will be with you shortly thank you very much please follow us on instagram facebook and twitter and if you have any films you'd like to recommend or any comments please email us at film Podcast at yahoo.com good night don't let the bedbugs bite